Oh, hi. Uh, I'm just here in a little wood in Cambridge here. Um, I am visiting my mum and dad today um, because that's allowed now. Uh, and they recently moved to a village here in Cambridge here. And I've just ducked out to film the introduction to this podcast so I can get it uploaded and ready for you guys uh, on the 1st of May. Um, I'm enjoying the quiet and the tranquility and the bird song. But there is, you'll probably hear, there's also like the background noise of a building site. <laughs> um, oh, there's a woodpecker. That's cool. Oh, it just flew away. Um, that was a woodpecker. I think, I don't, I don't know, I don't know birds. Someone who actually is into birds might tell me that I'm wrong, but I'm like pretty sure that I just saw a woodpecker and it just made that noise. Anyway, um, here I am in this small wood stroke building site, and I hope that the predominant noise will be the lovely sound of birdsong rather than uh, lorries backing up and big engines and things crashing, uh, which there's been a bit of as I've walked here. Um, hello. I hope you're okay. Uh, thanks for tuning in to episode, I think maybe six of God or whatever, or maybe five. I think it's five. Um, but it's nice to see you, even though I can't see you, but it's nice to know that you're there. Um, I hope you're okay. I'm very excited because uh, it's May and May is the month where well, for one thing, lockdown restrictions lift a little bit further. We take another step back towards normality and being able to see people. Halfway through this month, we'll be able to socialize indoors, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, to being able to go and visit friends and family in their houses rather than in their gardens. Um, it's also my birthday month. There's those building noises um, competing with the bird song. Uh, May is also my birthday month. I'll be turning 36 on the 21st of May. Uh, an age which I am not at all happy or comfortable being. Uh, I don't like the idea of being in my late 30s. Uh, I know that if you're listening to this and you're in your 60s or 70s, you're probably thinking to yourself, don't complain, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Uh, but it still kind of sucks. And I'm sure that if you look back to when you were this age, you probably thought it sucked as well. Um, but it's the way it is. And the nice thing about birthdays is lots of attention, um, which I like. Uh, even as a relatively introverted person, I do like to be fussed over. Um, and I am looking forward to having uh, friends and family fuss over me in one way or another, in whatever way we can. Um, I always find, or in, part, in recent years, I found birthdays a little bit odd because I tend to work on my birthday. I'm not, people take their birthdays off um, work and I've never really done that. Maybe I should, um, but I've tended to always work. And then because my colleagues aren't like my family or my very close friends necessarily, they don't necessarily know that it's my birthday. And so it'll sometimes come up during the day and they'll say something like, oh, you kept that quiet. And I always think like, well, what's the alternative <laughs> to keeping it quiet? Because when you're not eight, uh, you can't really make a big fuss about your birthday four weeks in advance. 
uh, without it coming across as super narcissistic. So anyway, I'm mentioning this all now so that you're aware that it's my birthday and you can fuss over me on the 21st of May, uh, send me gifts and money, um, or at the very least, if it comes up in conversation, you can know that it was there and not have the thing of you kept that quiet because I'm proclaiming it to the world. Um, I have been joined by the sound of a, I think, helicopter, which I can't see. Uh, but will no doubt give this podcast intro a lovely, bassy, uh, important feeling. Um, anywho, uh, today's podcast is a conversation with Des Wilson, my colleague and someone who I haven't known for very long and still don't know very well, to be honest with you, but somebody who I have the highest sense of respect and admiration for somebody who is a warm and thoughtful and compassionate person whose company i hope you will enjoy as much as i did now do i need to stop talking while this goes overhead here let me just be quiet and film this helicopter it's actually miles away Uh, it's still quite noisy anyway that's that's a helicopter Um, So, one of the things that I've been aware of in this podcast in the past five episodes and before then when it was another podcast um, is that I tend to have people on who are pretty much very similar to me. Uh, That's normal because I've tended to invite my close friends to be guests on the podcast and the way we work is that our close friends are often very similar to us. Um, So... There's been lots of stories about growing up in conservative religion, questioning that a little bit as as we got older, um, moving towards maybe something a little bit more inclusive and liberal, uh, being critical of parts of that conservative religion, while also maintaining some kind of respect for the good that it did for us uh, as we grew up. Those have been kind of themes that have been pretty common in this podcast. And I wanted to use it, this platform... um, to talk with some people who have different kinds of experiences to mine, who have different stories to tell, uh, whose experience of faith and spirituality uh, is alien to me. And I wanted to do that. Well, there's a kind of purely selfish reason, which is that I find it interesting and fun to have those kinds of conversations. I like learning about why people believe the things that they believe and where they find meaning, especially when those stories are quite different to my own. Um, I think having, you know, a breadth of those kinds of stories adds some depth and some colour, I guess, to life. Um, So that's one thing. But also, I guess there's a more, uh, like, pious reason, which is that I feel like... um, we live in a kind of very polarized kind of society at the moment. And I mean that both in terms of politics and religion. I was talking with a friend recently about the conversation about same-sex marriage in the Anglican church. Um, I'm just going to turn back and go back the way I came um, because that takes me to noisy places, that path. Um, Yeah, the conversation about same-sex marriage in the Anglican church, which is dominated by people on both sides who think that the other side is beyond hope um, and maybe that the church would be better off if the other guys just left uh, which doesn't help the conversation and doesn't help um, 
the LGBTQ plus community either. Um, but that's just one example. That's religion. Politics is full of it as well. You know, we're increasingly, you know, I, I see people on social media who, you know, my, I mean, my social circle is mostly kind of left wing. And I see people talking about the conservatives as if there's something fundamentally evil at their core, as if there's no hope for people who are conservative or vote conservative. And the same is true the other way around as well, I'm sure. And there's just this kind of like, we've become so divided. um, And I feel like being able to speak to somebody who has a different experience to you, has a different story to you, believes things that are different to you, people who you disagree with, maybe even sometimes people who you disagree with very strongly. But being able to have those conversations in a way where you remain friends and you try to learn from each other rather than trying to convert or bludgeon the other is unbelievably important. I think it's something that should be taught in schools. Um, it's, the, it's, it's the only way we evolve uh, as a society and as a species. Um, so I wanted to have some people on the podcast who I maybe disagreed with, people with different stories, different experiences. And Des's stories and experiences are very different to mine. They felt very alien to me while I was talking to him in a way that I found super interesting. And I hope that you will too. I won't tell you much about it now uh, because it'll speak for itself. Um, There's a little bit of overlap in early life. Uh, Des grew up or spent some of his time growing up in the Mormon church, which is not a million miles away from the conservative Christian church in terms of what they believe and how they practice that belief. Um, But then when he moved on from that scene the the trajectory that his spiritual journey took him on is very different to mine um in a way that i think the the a younger version of me uh that version of me who is still in that conservative kind of evangelical church setting would have found very unsettling uh some of the stuff that des believes and we talk about this I would have found really difficult to swallow in that scene. And even now as an adult, that voice is still there in me. Um, and anyway, I'm, I'm telling you stuff that we're going to cover in the podcast. So let me stop waffling uh, and hand over to my conversation with Des, which I hope you find as interesting and as enlightening and as thought-provoking as I did. Um, I loved talking to him and I hope that you will enjoy listening to him. Uh, so enjoy. I'll see you on the other side. So yeah, so I just, like I say, there's no, I don't have any notes. I don't have any script or a list of questions or anything like that. I just thought it'd be good to kind of have a, have a chat with you about your experience of um, organized religion as a young person. And then later in life as your experience with more kind of free flowing kind of spirituality that's less kind of structured and rule bound and that kind of stuff and how you went from one to the other and, and that kind of thing. Um, so should we start like, I mean, why don't we start at the beginning and you can tell me about, um, you as a, quite a young child got 
kind of drawn into the Mormon church. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So how did that come about? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I unfortunately come from a, a, a difficult family background. Um, without going into too much detail, we suffered quite a lot of poverty and I was raised in a single uh, parent family household. Um, both parents were estranged, estranged from one another. My father obviously was absent, so he um, had his own problems and there was just a lot of stuff going on um, back at that time. And my mum was really struggling to raise four of us on her own. So as a single parent, she lacked that support and she had her own difficulties and mental health difficulties and quite a number of other problems going on at the time. So for her, she she needed support to raise us four. It was a hard job. Uh, looking back, she told me. Um, and she'd found out about the Mormon church when I was about seven, I want to say. No, it was probably even younger, to be honest. Um, yeah, it was, I can't remember the exact age that I was, but I was quite young. Um, and I think she was introduced by a friend to the Mormon church and everyone was so supportive and the community was so welcoming and so giving and so collaborative. She all of a sudden felt that she was a part of a bigger family that she'd never had before. And with that came Sunday school. So that meant it gave her a chance to have a break away from us. So we'd go to Sunday school and learn about Jesus Christ and, and the Book of Mormon. And then um, there was the missionaries that would come along outside of church hours um, on evenings and weekends and help her with painting in the house, babysitting. They did, to be honest, they were very kind and they did a lot of really wonderful things to support my mum. So for her, it was just amazing to be a part of something that really helped her to balance her life as a single parent because um, she had no support anywhere else and she wasn't working either. So financially, she was really struggling. And there was lots of generosities from the church as well, you know, like food hampers and vouchers and all that kind of stuff. So... From her perspective, it was amazing. And so she got involved and then we all got involved as a family. And that's how we got into the Mormon religion and became a part of of the organized religion for about five years, actually. It's, re- it's really interesting because um, listening to you talk, there's some things which you and I have quite different experiences of. Like I, I would say that my family growing up, we were quite a middle class family. Like, And I, to my knowledge never wanted for anything kind of financially like we we didn't have those particular problems but one thing that we did we had in common that that i have in common with you i think is i was probably about the same age as you when my parents got into religion and oddly enough it was kind of for similar reasons because we had just moved to america at the time so i moved to america when i was about five or six and my parents wanted a sense of community, a sense of belonging, wanted to feel like, um, I think there was kind of like, they would talk about my sister and I being brought up with Christian morals. Um, but actually, I think probably if you were to ask them, they would say it was more about getting to know people, feeling like you're part of a community, you know, a new country, not knowing anybody. Um, it was a way of kind of connecting with people. And I think some of those good things that you've just described about the Mormon church are pretty similar to what we experienced as we got into the kind of mainstream evangelical Christian church in America, you know, that there, there's lots of bad stuff or what I would consider now to be bad stuff. And we can talk about that in a minute, but there was good stuff as well in the sense that we felt like 
people loved us, we were looked after, people valued us, people made us feel welcome, and that kind of thing. Um, and that's such a tricky thing, isn't it? With with I guess not just religion, with politics, with any kind of large scale kind of community like that, that you've got the good stuff, which is helping to people helping people to feel like they're a part of something, helping people to feel loved, making them feel like they're part of a community and that kind of thing. And then you've got the more difficult things, the the maybe some of the belief systems, sometimes in some cases, stories of abuse, abuse of power, even physical abuse, that kind of thing, um, which it's such a, it's such a kind of difficult mix and such a hard thing to kind of find to, to reflect on later on as an adult and kind of like, yeah, there's good things that I drew from that that have shaped me into who I am today. But there's also bad things that continue to affect me to, uh, today. Um, anyway, the, I, I'm I'm talking about myself. Uh, I you said that you were in it for about five years, so that brings you up to the age of kind of about eleven or twelve, I think, from what you've just said. And what what happened in those five years to mean that you're not in it um, anymore? I guess as a child, I didn't really know what it was. I was just doing what my family did and what my parents were doing. Um, but I do remember, is it called the sacrament when you, when you, um, at the beginning of a service, the bread's passed around and the water and little cups are passed around oh, okay, I think okay. to represent the body and the flesh of Jesus Christ. So yeah. in memory of him and honor of his sacrifice. We had, we had um, wine in my church, not to boast. Oh, did you? Maybe the adults had wine, but I definitely remember it was not wine. <laughs> I, <was drinking laughs> I really watered down. <laughs> so we do that and I always used to get greedy because I'd be hungry and I would ask for more bread or I'd like steal extra bread up because they'd pass a plate around with bread on and I'd just help myself and my mum would have to like stop me because I'd just like <laughs> gluttony, gluttony took over me and I would just grab four or five pieces and she'd be like she'd tap my hand and say everyone else has to have some days so <laughs> that, was, that was a fun memory that was quite exciting um, I remember Sunday school um, I remember the friends that I'd made actually, and we used to run and play down the corridors and we used, used to have a stage, um, like where the altar was, there was a stage behind the altar, which is where they used to do like nativity plays and that kind of thing. So we'd used to hide behind the curtains. There was lots of fun memories of church that like, you know, I will never forget and just the friendships that I'd made and just the carefreeness of it. But um, then there was the Sunday school, which is where the organized bit came in, where we had to actually read scriptures to each other and interpret the scriptures and learn about the goodness of Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints. And, you know, there was a lot, lot of literature around that, a lot of videos, a lot of content, a lot of uh, material that we had to absorb as young children in the Sunday school. And that was the bit I was quite aware of, very young, that I didn't enjoy. Yeah, But I did it because it was Sunday school and that's what we did on Sundays. Um, but it wasn't, it was after a couple of years, I think I'd said to my mom, I really didn't enjoy going to church anymore. And I, I, I don't enjoy Sunday school and, you know, those wonderful moments of playing with children behind the curtains and running up and down the altars and bouncing off seats and all that crazy stuff that you do as a child mm -hmm. that was outweighed for me, um, by in, ter in terms of, I wouldn't say heaviness, that's probably the wrong word, but the Sunday school and the literature that we were having to learn was increase, increasingly for me as a young person growing up felt like it was slightly pressurized. 
enforced upon me and that's what I didn't like and that's why I'd, I'd said to my mum, I don't want to do this anymore, I don't want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And at which point, that was when I was about 10 or 11 and she was a bit confused and I think probably a bit upset at the time because, you know, the church had all, all they'd always done nothing but amazing things for her and helped her survive and raise us and that's kind of thing. So for her, it probably was a bit of a shock. Mm. But what she said to me was, you're old enough to make your own decisions and as your mum, I want to support you on your decisions. So if that's what you want, then that's what you can do and you don't have to go to church anymore. And I didn't from that day on. And can you say, like, what was it? So I can remember going to Sunday school at that same age and finding it probably boring is probably the word more than anything else. Like, not that there was anything that I was, like, at that age – really strongly disagreeing with or feeling uncomfortable about or anything like that. It was just kind of like it was the boring bit you had to sit through so that you could then tear around with your friends after the service, you know? Um, But like, is that what it was for you or was it something more than just being bored? Something more than just being bored. I think it started as just being bored. Um, cause I wasn't interested in what I was being taught and what I was being told. Mm. I really wasn't, I really wasn't interested in it at all. I never was from the moment I had to go to some Sunday school. I just did it cause I had to, mm-hmm. but I used to hate being there and I used to hate it when my mum dropped me off and they'd go and do the adult thing, whatever they were doing. I think it was adult services or I'm not sure where my mum went when she was dropped me off, but I know she was in the church, probably doing community stuff or charity work, I think. Okay. Um, but I used to cry when she'd left me and the door closed. And I felt like I was in some sort of, um, oh, I need to find the right words for this. Felt like I was being abandoned. I didn't like it. I didn't mm. like that. I was being abandoned in a room where, uh, yes, some of my friends were there, but they didn't, some of them didn't want to be there either. Yeah. And it was, it was just all a bit strange because I don't know who the person was called or what their role was called, but they'd wear like a white robe and everything was very, um it was just just felt odd it was an odd environment people weren't like the people in there educating us were very clearly kind of dressed a certain way and saying things a certain way and it 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 just felt odd Mm. to me it wasn't like a teacher in a school it was well I i don't i don't know what they were called i don't suppose they'd be called a church pastor or anything it was such a long time ago but but they were educating us basically that's what their role was they were there to teach us about the bible and about jesus christ and 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 there was that was it basically for a whole day and um when when you said there about it being something more that was putting me off i think i felt i definitely felt the pressure i felt like i didn't have a choice that i had to just be there and I had to just learn this and i had to just listen and take on board what I was being told. And and most disturbingly for me, at such a young age, I was very aware that I had to accept what I was being told. Yeah. And I, even at 9, 10, 11, I had a profound realisation of something far greater than what I was being told and something far more than what I was being told. And yet I had to just shut up and put up and just do do what I was told. There wasn't violence. There wasn't coercion or anything like that i wouldn't say there was none of that in the church Mm. it was very cleverly done i would say very cleverly done with these delicate minds of these young people um and all i can say is thank goodness that i was as strong-minded as strong-willed as i was to be able to stand up for that and make that stand 
Mm. Um, and we'll go on to talk, I'm sure, about in the next hour or whatever about what come of that when I made that decision, because that was very interesting to me as well when I'd left the church and at 11 and decided against it because yeah. it was quite shocking. I do, I do definitely want to talk about that. You, but you just said something which I thought was really interesting, which I wanted to pick you up on. Uh, and this will probably actually lead into that, was you talked about an awareness at the age of 10 or 11 of something far greater. And the the impression I got from what you were saying was that you were wanting to explore an open universe of faith and spirituality and belief and belonging and that kind of stuff. And possibly what the organized religion, in your case, the Mormon church, but you know, I, I, people have experiences of it in all sorts of different organizations. What it did was to shrink that world down. So you're yeah. wanting to kind of like, it's almost like you're going for a walk and you're wanting to go like, Hey, let's go over here and explore over here. And what, what's over here and let's explore over here. And what religion is doing is saying, no, no, this is the path. This is the path that we have to stick on. You, you're not, you can't go over there or over there. Those are dangerous places. You have to stick to this. Um, yeah. That's me completely putting words in your mouth, but I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about that. Something greater that you just described. Yeah, like definitely. what was that awareness? You've all of what you just said there was, was spot on. That's exactly how it felt. Um, because I remember questioning things a lot. Mm. My mom always said I asked a lot of questions about a lot of things all the time. That was just me. I was a very curious child. But I would often get silenced and told to be quiet or to um, not now. We'll discuss this later. Or, you know, we're not talking about this. We're talking about this. Um, and, and And I just remember thinking, but none of my questions were ever getting answered. You know, um, so back to what I was saying about this greater awareness, I just had, I would probably describe it as a sixth sense that what I was being told was rubbish. Interesting. That's how okay. I felt. I felt yeah. that this was not something that I needed to believe and that I, I knew, I knew some other truth that I wasn't being told. I had a really profound sense of intuition that, um, I was being lied to at times and that I was it, the the only word that keeps coming to me is being forced to believe something mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily true. Right. And I was proved right in this because I had an experience, as you know, Tim, from a previous conversation, which I'll discuss on this podcast. Um, and this experience happened to me when I was 11, actually shortly before i decided to leave the mormon church and if i'm honest looking back this was this experience was probably what pushed me to tell my mom i didn't want to do it anymore okay so there was an organized trip to the new mormon temple that had been built in preston mm -hmm. so we all got on a coach trip and we went to preston from middlesbrough and teesside long journey it was about four hours five hours um and i remember doing fun and games and really i was really excited on the coach and play with my friends and playing like you know um, all kind of games like, you know, spotting certain things out of the window. So it was a fun journey. And when we got there, the building looked grand. It was amazing. It was brand new. It was white. It was flashy. It was heavenly. It was everything that I ever imagined it to be and more, uh, how it was sold to me. Um, perfect is what I would describe. The most, one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen at that age. It was, I was mesmerized and 
So we were we got off the coach and we made our way to the temple and we had to put on blue blue slippers because you were allowed to walk barefoot or with your or with your shoes on the brand new carpets because right. everything in the temple was whitewashed. Everything was just pure white wow. and bliss and heavenly. It was it was heavenly, and it had an incredible feel into it—a power of an immense power of love and peace. And acceptance, and I could feel that. I could feel it, and I could feel this energy. And when we got in there, I just couldn't stop looking around. I, I couldn't pay attention to anything that anybody was saying to me because I was just looking. I was looking at the. I can still remember all the detail of the coving on all of the rooms. I could see the stained glass windows. Mm. I can see the brightness of the walls and the light and the chandeliers and. Everything was white. The furniture was white. The carpets was white. There wow. was a gigantic font supported by eight oxen, which is where the baptisms take place. And that was huge. And it rose from the centerpiece of this main room, this main hall. And there were steps going on either side. And then you get to the top. Uh, and then that's where people would be baptized. But there was a glass screen all across the top where the font was. And it, I was just wowed. And then we I mean, it sounds tour. spectacular. Sounds amazing. It was a spectacular building, and um, we were one of the first few to actually go in and see it. So there was people from all over the country there on tour buses coming to see this brand new temple. It was a big thing at the time because I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if this this was the case, but I vaguely remember someone telling me that it was the only Mormon temple in the UK. Uh, right, um, okay. This is why it was a big thing because a lot of money had been put into it. Yeah. So we embarked on uh, a tour around the place. So I was with my mom and I was with a couple of other people. And then there was a person uh, walking us around the building. So there we were with our little blue slippers on, walking around this beautiful building up and down and in and out of rooms and along corridors and up spiral staircases. It was amazing. And then so we walked through one particular corridor and we came up some stairs. I can still remember this as clear as day. And I got to the top of these stairs. I was the last one. I was right at the back and I was just taking everything in. And I felt this um, incredible energy rising within me. People now tell me this is Kundalini energy. And I didn't really know what it was at that, that time, but I felt this real powerful sensation of energy just start from, I would say, the, the very lower part of my abdomen. It was getting so powerful and so it felt like a washing machine of energy in my stomach. And it was, it, it was intense. And I thought, I don't know what's going on here. And I just looked up to the window and I just saw this almighty brightness of light just shone into me. And from that moment onwards, all I remember is what I can only describe as my soul being ripped from my body and had an out-of-body experience. And it was a little bit like the feeling, I can describe it, and this is the nearest feeling I can get people to understand, is imagine you're on a roller coaster and you come to the top and all of a sudden the roller coaster takes you straight down vertically and you lose your stomach. Mm. That was what it felt like. But I, for a moment, and it was just a moment, but it felt like forever, was complete consciousness. I wasn't in my body. I wasn't a human being. I was a part of a global energy. I was a part of something far greater and more powerful than anything I ever could conceive. And in this place, I could hear everything. I could ask anything, past, present, or future, and I would know anything if I wanted to. Um, there so was were no you still, like, were you still 
like conscious of where you were and the people around yeah. you and that kind of thing at the time, or are you like in a different one hundred percent, one hundred percent? I, I, I could, I was aware of where I was. I was aware of being alive, but I wasn't in my body. So if your if your mum had said like, Desi, you're right. You you look a bit odd. Like, would you have? would you have like been able to like carry out a conversation with her or something or was your mind just somewhere else i was somewhere else That's yeah really i was somewhere else and i felt like i was floating basically i felt i knew i was alive but i didn't feel attached to my body i was flying free i was i was spirit i was what some mormons tried to tell me was i had been touched by the holy spirit i had had an experience of the holy spirit okay. but I think that was an attempt to try and bring me back in to tell me and, 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 and I guess, um, what I felt was brainwash me into believing something again that I, that wasn't true because I know that that power, that force that I felt was not a being like you or I. This was a force. This was an energy, a supreme and powerful energy that governs everything that ever is ever was and will ever be and it wasn't a person it wasn't a being i couldn't see it i could feel it and i knew i knew it so well like 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 i know on the back of my hand that's how it felt so i mean there's there's so much in this that i want to ask you questions about because this isn't part of my religious or spiritual experience at all like i don't I've, i've never had that kind of experience um um hang on sorry my cat's just being an idiot she got herself stuck <laughs> um um there's a, yeah there's lots of questions that are whizzing around my mind which one do i want to go to first i guess well first of all when you talked about they they started to tell you what had happened to you um i recognize that as being kind of like uh this is a way of taming the experience do you know what I mean? Like you've just had this huge experience, potentially life-changing experience, whatever that means, wherever it came from, whatever you want to call it. Um, and what what the people around you did was to try to make it fit into the religious language, the religious exactly. framework that they understood. Yes. And that's not to say, like, I like I don't know enough about Mormonism to be critical of it. Like uh, that's not to say that that language is wrong necessarily, but it's a perspective and it's a language on something that, you know, when we're talking about, god when we're talking about the divine you know that there isn't a language or a framework or a belief system that can capture it it's bigger than all of that so what what's happened to you is you've had this like experience and then they've gone no 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 it fits into this box this is how we understand that experience rather than i guess like what would have been the right response i guess to explore it with you what was it what did it feel like why do you think that happened that kind of thing um no no and that i mean that doesn't surprise me in the sense that i think often often people who have fixed ideas again whether those are religious or whatever else will fit experiences that don't quite make sense into those fixed ideas you know so they'll like shove it into the box to try to make sense of it um so that doesn't really surprise me um you, you used the phrase that I don't know a word that I didn't recognize and I will get it wrong. Did you say Kundalini energy? Kundalini. Kundalini. What is that? Tell me about that. So Kundalini is, um, I don't know too much about it myself because um, 
I, ha- I haven't, I know that people experience it in a particular form of yoga called kund- Kundalini yoga, which is working with the energy, the life force of energy. Um, but I don't know too much about it other than that. Um, it's a really powerful, um, energy that can, it, I guess it can, it can, it can manifest in anybody and you can really work with that energy and you can, you can nurture that energy to get more of it. And it's supposed to, it's supposed to bring magical benefits to, to a person. Um, so I've, I've had, I've had yogis and spiritualists and Buddhists tell me that that was actually Kundalini energy that I'd experienced, but whatever it was, let me tell you something. It was out of this world and out of this sphere of what we think we know in this world. And ever since then, I, I have felt connected to something more powerful to this life. Um, and I remember being in, in that moment again, just back there on that stairs, just that out of body feeling. And I remember feeling that I could be anywhere that I wanted to be and I could ask any question and I could be anything. And I, I was just an energy force that I was just pure energy. And every, I had a sense of lots of different energies, probably from other spirits, other beings, other, other people. And we were all sharing this global consciousness together. We were on a conscious level. I don't know if I'm making sense. Like everything is, everything was connected. Everything. I mean, you are, you, you definitely are making sense. I think probably it's an experience that you can't put into words from the sounds of things because it sounds like it was bigger than words. Um, it's really difficult, actually. Yeah. And uh, every time I tell this story, and I didn't tell it for 20 years after I told the initial first couple of people when I was 11, I kept it quiet for such a long time because of this reason, because I couldn't describe it. Like I couldn't replicate that feeling to anybody. Mm. I still can't now. Like what I'm telling you is just a fraction of what I felt. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I like, I mean, well, I'm interested in how the 11 year old, you made sense of that. And I'm also interested in, I don't know how old you are now, but the current day, how you Des in 2021 make sense of yeah. that. So like, what did you how did you begin to interpret what had happened as a kid and how do you now as an adult interpret what happened so at the time um i guess all i knew was that i was connected to something massive massive even bigger than massive super massive mm-hmm. that's what i was aware of i was aware of something extremely powerful but incredibly loving and compassionate and it was the most powerful feeling of love that i can ever begin to describe i can't even find the words for that there is no word in the human dictionary that can describe that feeling of love it just is yeah and i felt incredibly safe and protected and calm and welcomed it was it was just beautiful i didn't i didn't want to leave that space i didn't but i did i don't know how i left that space but i did i came back to my body and and i gasped and and my mum turned around and a few other people and i i couldn't i couldn't tell them in that moment because i was just i, I couldn't make sense of what had happened i just knew that something 
incredible had taken place. And I knew that I would, I'd been touched by another world, another, another place, another space, another time and dimension. And how could I communicate that at 11 years old to anybody? Yeah. How? How could I, how could I get those words out? How could I describe that without people thinking that I was crazy or mad or weird or strange? Cause that's what would have happened. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of said, I can't even remember what I said. I just passed it off and, and she was like, oh, okay. And, and I just, I, I don't, I can't remember what I'd said. I just remember not, not explaining myself. Um, and then, and then that experience stayed with me. And, and I remember, I think I shared it with a missionary in front of my mum for the first time. This is in the Mormon church, a Mormon missionary. Yeah, a Mormon missionary, but it was in my home. Um, and they, they were convinced that I had been touched by the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit was beckoning to me to bring me back to course, back on path okay. to follow the way the way of the light, mm-hmm. um, which is the religion and the belief. And, and, and I remember this is, this is the shocking part. They asked me if I was willing to be baptized because I was the only child in my family that refused baptism. I didn't want it. I really didn't want it. It scared me. It didn't make sense. I didn't want to be dunked under the water. I didn't get the whole ceremony. It was frightening. It was terrifying. It wasn't for me. I didn't, I couldn't make sense of baptism. And I was really adamant. And they tried several times to convince my mum to get me baptized. And my mum would ask me time and time again. This is before the experience, by the way, right. about baptism. And every time I'd say no, and I'd started to get angry. And I said, why won't you listen to me? I'm not going to change my mind. I don't want to be baptized. And so she said, well, we'll have to talk to the missionaries when they come around. So I did. And they, they gently tried to steer the conversation around again to why I should get baptized and what the benefits of baptism is. And the most shocking part for me was they said to me, if I don't get baptized, I think this was a last ploy to scare me, a scare tactic. 11 years old, they told me this. If you don't get baptized, you will go to purgatory, which means that in the afterlife, you will not be with your family. Mm -hmm. And that was terrifying. But even then, I knew, and this point was after the experience, I knew that what they were telling me was not truth. That's so so interesting, Uh, because I grew up with similar scripts. like mainstream evangelical Christianity is slightly different to Mormonism in some ways, but has lots in common with it. And I certainly grew up with that idea that um, if you didn't believe in God in the right way, uh, as a, you know, the language of born again, Christianity, then you would go not to purgatory. We didn't have that, but to hell. Um, And there was lots of, I think as a, 10, 11, 12 year old into my teenage years, that was a very scary message that if anything kept me in that church setting. Um, whereas for you, it sounded like that message was a catalyst for you to kind of say, I don't want any of this because this message is so toxic. And I'm just wondering whether that's because you had that experience, whatever that experience was, that it was that experience that gave you the confidence to say, no, I think this is bullshit, actually, and I want out. Um, yeah. Whereas for 
most people who don't have those kinds of experiences at that age, that's just a scary message where you go, well, shit, I'd better behave then. I'd better do what I'm told because I don't want to go to hell or purgatory. I want to stay with my family. So do you, I mean, like I say, that's me reading into it, but do you think that kind of spiritual experience is the thing that gave you the confidence then to say, actually, look, this is not for me now. I think it definitely helped. But even before that experience, I was questioning mm. a lot. And what made me, what what got me thinking about not wanting to be a part of it was the fact that my questions were not being answered and I was being pacified and distracted and the subject was always being changed. And I was aware of this and I started to get angry that yeah. I wasn't I, that I wasn't being taken seriously, that my questions weren't being answered, that everything I was asking, they, they just kept bringing me back to the same old message, Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints. Let's watch a movie. And I was like, yay, movie. And the movie would be about Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints. <laughs> I've, I've and been then, there. Said, Let's play a board game. I was like, yay, board game. And the board game would be about Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints. Oh, mate, I remember everywhere. all that. Yeah, you know, I had the same everywhere. thing. Yeah. I hated it. I yeah. hated it. I absolutely hated the fact that I felt I knew even at that age I knew what brainwashed meant. Yeah. And I felt that they were trying every tactic in the book to really bring me on board, but I was having none of it. And actually, do you know what? I'm quite pr- quite proud of myself for standing up at that age at 11 years old for what I believed in. It's it's massively impressive. I don't know many 11-year-olds who have that kind of self-confidence to push back, not just against the church, but also against, because you, your mum was still into it. So pushing back against your family and it's, um, yeah, it's it's really, it's really huge. Um, And like, again, like I have, I remember playing, I had a Christian video game that my, I think probably my dad bought me. Maybe it wasn't my dad. I can't remember, but it was like a side scroller jump adventure kind of a game. And then every now and again, you'd like, you pick up an apple. And when you picked up an apple, a Bible verse would come on the screen. And it got to the point where I was like, avoid the apples because they're, they're, that's when the boring bit comes in, like play the game and don't eat the apples. Um, But I would have never had the language of like, or even the thought that like, am I being brainwashed or whatever? I think I would have just accepted the reality that was being presented to me, you know, like this is, this is what's true. And for me, that move away from organized religion, well, it's not a move away from organized religion because I still am religious. I still call myself a Christian. I still go to church, but that move away from that very conservative black and white thing happened much later in life. Like it happened in my early twenties, probably. So the idea that you were able to do that at 11 is, um, yeah, I think that's rare. I don't think there are many 11, like I say, I think there's probably lots of 11 year olds who go, this is boring. I don't want to be here. But the idea of at 11 going, not just this is boring, but this is bullshit is, um, yeah, that's rare, man. That's, uh, I, I, I don't know many 11 year olds who can do that. It is rare, but you know, as as you're talking there and, and saying this, I'm thinking back to my early childhood and how I was as a child from what my mum was telling me. Some of it I remember, some of it don't, some of it I don't. And I always was a very aware child, always. And she said I would never stop asking questions. And even when I was in nursery um, and and school, preschool and nursery and junior school, 
um, I would always just play on my own and I wouldn't be so bothered about other children. But what, what I remember from that time was I was, I was attracted to nature and trees and energy and animals. And I remember feeling this, this energy around them. Yeah. And I couldn't really explain that. So zooming forward, when you think about how I developed as a child, I had an awareness of energy mm. for exactly what it was. Like take it out of the human body, out of the human construct, out of the, the realities that we've built around us. But just if you think of it on an energy level, I had an awareness of that very young. So as I was moving through these social hierarchies and structures and systems around me as a, as a human being living on planet earth <laughs> and then encountering religion and all of the constructs around that, you know, I was, I was aware of something very, very early on. And it really, if you think about it, it was only a matter of time before I was to either reject that or embrace it. And I chose to embrace it because I just had a sense of truth yeah, and intuition. And even now back to your, your question earlier, I'm 36 now. Um, and I am incredibly, uh, a, a lot more aware of the world and life and people. And I'm very spiritual. I engage in it quite often and meditate. I do yoga. Um, I, this might frighten some people, but I am connected to the spirit world. I have saw spirits and communicated with spirits. I have, um, heard messages being passed on to people and seen people in tears for the messages that I've passed on. That tells me that this is coming from somewhere, right? I'm not just making this stuff up because clearly something is being channeled through me from another dimension or another field or whatever you want to call it for these people to be reacting this way. Now, as it stands at 36, I do try to, I guess I don't, I try to disengage with that aspect of my spirituality because I don't quite understand it to a level that I feel I should okay. to be working with it. So I don't, I don't actively seek my involvement with that, but I do sometimes get very um, specific and um, how can we put this? Clear messages from the spirit world. I can still get those, mm. but I I have a choice in whether I'm going to allow that in or not. It's really I'm 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 monitoring my reactions while you're talking, and I've got there's two still quite dominant voices in me. One is the voice of the evangelical church, which I grew up in, which would be really freaked out by what you're saying. So there's like an 11 year old in me that's going, whoa, shit, this is scary. Don't go near this. Cause there's some demonic level, like, you know, whatever, like that's, that's what I was brought up to believe, which I don't believe anymore. Um, where I am more now, I think I'd describe myself as being quite a skeptical person about the types of experiences that you've just described. Like I, I don't, I don't think I believe in a spirit world. I'm not like, it's not, I don't know. It, it, I'm not, who knows, who knows what's on like the other side, what stuff we can't see and that kind of thing. But I have this other skeptical voice in me that's going, well, Des must have misunderstood this somehow. And both of these voices are unhelpful because both of them are trying to diminish your experience. So what I, what I don't want to do is to get into like a, a debate about 
whether what you've experienced is real or not or whatever, because I don't think that's massively helpful. What I want to do is to understand your experience of it. I, like, I, because it's so alien to me. It's so, you know, the, the, the old school evangelical Christian version of me, the today's slightly skeptical, well, very skeptical, like scientific mindset kind of version of me. Both of those are going, I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just want to like get my head around like what, so yeah, maybe what is, how, how does that experience happen? Like when you, you've talked about you receive messages from the spirit world, what is that literally like a voice in your head that you hear audibly, or is it more like a feeling? Like, how does that, how do you experience that? What's that like when it happens? Oh gosh, I get asked this all the time. It's really hard to explain this. Really, really difficult. I'm going to give it my best shot. Okay, here we go. So when I have spirit contact, it's an, it's energy. So when we talk about spirits, I'm not talking about ghouls and ghosts. And I know I mentioned ghosts earlier, but that's because that's the only way that people can have a visualization of what I'm talking about, because what else have they got to, to understand spirit? Yeah. But really what I'm getting at is energy. So I feel an energy. I'll feel a presence. Sometimes my senses will be switched on. So I'll, I'll smell a smell, like a particular smell. Okay. Um, it could be a perfume. It could, it could be anything. It could be anything connected to who that person is that's trying to connect. Um, then what I will sometimes see is I'll start getting in my, what, what we call, um, the third eye, mm -hmm. which is here in the middle of your head. Um, I'll start getting pressure here. And then I know for sure that there's some spiritual activity going on or there's a connection being tried to be made. Um, now, what I tend to get then through my third eye is if I allow it in and, I'm, and I engage with that, is I'll start getting um, visualizations. Now, when I say visualizations, it's not like I am looking at a person in front of me. There's a person that appears like I'm looking at you right now. It's not like that. Okay. It's... It, it's a, a sense of a really strong, I can't even put this into words. Um, let, just give me a moment and see if I can just get the words for this. It's a visualization. My eyes can be open and it's a visualization. It's in here and it's, it, and it's like a video. It's like video footage of something. Like, um, if you are watching a movie and you see a movie visual, it's a little bit like that, but it's, uh, it's really difficult to describe this, but I get like a visual, shall we say? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a really intense visual. Sometimes that will be a snippet of something or it'll be quite a long, um, visual. Other ways that I'll see spirit come in is if you imagine a photographic negative. So if ever, um, do you ever see, do you have ever have, I don't know, old cameras? Yeah, sure. Do you know like the olden days where you develop something that's on like a film and you can see negatives? Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit like that. So a spirit will come in uh, like that with 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 um, like a photographic negative. So you won't see it like a person like looking at you straight away, but it'll start to slowly form if it's ready to come into into the domain that it needs to to get a message across. Because some spirits aren't ready to come through. They're playing with with their uh, readiness, should we say, to be able to come in 
to pass on a message. It all depends on where they are in terms of their willingness and readiness to to communicate basically with yeah. with, with us on an energy level within the human body. So the, the human body is our vessel. It just holds our spirit, the spirit of life. This is how I've come to understand it. And so if they do come in fully, then you will see through the third eye, not a person in front of you. I This is how I see it. I, I will see the person's face and then I will hear them communicate to me through my mind. Okay. So it almost feels, I guess, maybe you could understand it if I was to say it, it felt, feels a little bit like telepathy, like somebody's just communicating something through me and then I'm understanding it and having a conversation to be able to pass mm-hmm. that on. When this first started happening in my teenage years, I, I um, tried to pacify it and ignore it and not say anything to anybody because I thought people were going to think I'm mad. Yeah, People would not understand this. They'll think I'm psychotic, I'm mentally unwell, and I wasn't at all. I didn't. Well, I had other issues earlier on, but this was something completely different. Yeah. And then one day I was brave enough to share it, uh, and I started to share these things with my sister. And she was absolutely gobsmacked by what I was saying. And she said, I just knew things that I shouldn't know. Um, was your- like I would predict things and they'd come true, they'd happen. Or I would know what somebody was going to say and they'd say it. You was know, your sister just- still in the Mormon church at that time when you had that conversation? Yes, she was. That must have been yeah. intense. She must have, found, she must have found that quite a scary conversation to have with you. To be fair, you know, when you say this, I can see where you're coming from. But with my family, we were raised by my mum to be very open-minded, despite the church, which is probably why I had the confidence to stand up in the first place. So she was a very, she is, she's still here. She's a very liberal woman and very open-minded. And she really encouraged each of us in terms of our individuality. So she would never condemn any one of us to you know make us feel um anything other than real and authentic in 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 what we believed but she would try and i guess like what you're doing now she would try and understand us and why our views are there and what we were feeling she focused a lot on our emotions and feelings and i'm very privileged to have had that with my mum because i can appreciate a lot of parents haven't got that capacity or they don't know how um, especially if they're indoctrinated into something or they're following a strict regime and a religion or whatever it is in their lives. So back to my sister, she was raised by the same parents. So yeah. she she wasn't so frightened by it. She was curious like you are. She asked questions. And, mm-hmm. and it was only really by listening to me that she was the next one actually to start to question, yeah, something's not right. Oh, really? And Interesting. She, yeah, and what she didn't tell me later on in life when she was a late teenager and in her early 20s was that she was also getting spiritual things happening, but she didn't want to talk about it. And wow, that's really interesting. My other sister, who is nine years older than me, had a lot of spiritual activity happening in her life, and she didn't speak to many people about it. Wow. And my brother, who is six years older than me, he's what in his 40s now, he would point blank just when whenever we talked about anything like this, because occasionally we might say something like, oh, you know, I had a strange dream last night or something weird happened to me yesterday. And he would leave the room because he just wouldn't. So he he was out of all of us was the one that was freaked out, actually. Yeah, yeah. 
and he just didn't want to engage with it. He was just like, no, 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 I'm not interested. Whatever, whatever. Can we change the subject? It's a load of rubbish. Whatever, whatever, whatever. But it was coming from a place of fear from him, and I always knew that. Yeah. Interestingly, me and my brother are really close, and interestingly, the last couple of years, he's been on a really powerful personal journey of his own and admitted himself that he believes he believes it and oh, he understands it he understands it he believes it he feels it but he wasn't ready to accept it for a very very long time so whatever is going on here whatever it is it is something far greater than what people understand and i don't think many people in the human condition the form that we're existing in now have got the capacity to fully understand that. Yeah. Which is where there's talk of afterlife and after death experience. You know, how can we say for sure what this is when we don't experience that if we do experience it when we're dead, right? Oh yeah. 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 I'm so completely with you. Yeah. I totally understand that. I, I really understand you're skeptic in you as well, like totally hundred yeah. percent. And I would never say to somebody who didn't believe me, well, you're full, of, you're full of rubbish. I don't want to associate with you. I would never say that because unless they've experienced this themselves, how can they understand what I'm saying? Because do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's like I do, I do, completely. People sit in the same exam, right? Yeah. And we know what was on that exam because we've seen it. We had the same exam, so we'd know the questions and we'd, we'd totally get it. We'd like, yeah, I, I remember that question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But if I've sat the exam and you haven't, you're not going to understand a word of what I'm saying about what I saw on that paper because you weren't there. You never experienced that. Absolutely. And I think for me, that's like, I think, I think skepticism is a good and healthy thing in the way that you were skeptical of the church that you grew up in. Uh, you know, I think skepticism is asking questions, not taking things at face value, that kind of thing. I think cynicism is a really toxic and unhealthy thing. And it's sometimes hard to tell the difference because skepticism is going, you know, I'm not sure I'm on board with this. I'm curious. I'd like to know more, but mm, I'm not, I'm not completely convinced by it. Where cynicism is going, what a load of bullshit that, you know, this is, you're crazy. This is crap. I'm not interested in this. And cynicism, I think is really unhealthy and really damaging. Whereas skepticism I think is quite a good thing. Um, and sorry, I just jumped onto a hobby horse there and slightly derailed the conversation. Um, I was really, I, when you talked about your two sisters having had similar experiences, that was really interesting to me. And I just wonder, like, why, if there's this spirit world of people who've, who, who, who've, who've gone before, who are able to reach out and communicate, what is it about, like, you and your sisters that makes it that you have these experiences but like that i don't or other people don't like most people don't it, i mean do you do you know like wh why you guys um, it is very interesting but there is a genetic link to this in my family okay. so my great-grandmother is it my great-grandmother my yeah my dad's mum obviously passed now bless her um, she died of a heart attack. God bless her soul. I say God bless because, you know, if that's the word that we can use to describe this almighty power, then so be it. Um, because there is an almighty power, undoubtedly. There yeah, is a, high, power, a yeah. higher force. And I am totally on board with this higher force. And if people want to perceive that and understand it as God or God-like, then I will accept them in that belief because it 
it describes something almighty, right? Yeah. Anyway, as I was saying, she 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 passed, and she was very very. Uh, she had strong clairvoyance skills. Okay. Um, and my dad used to tell us about this and about some of the things that she used to do and some of the, some of the just just the crazy. And I say crazy because this is how people would interpret it. Mm-hmm. Messages that she would get and things that she would see. And then there was other people in my family. There is a scary story. I'm not sure I should discuss this one because this bit is evil. Okay. Um, well, don't if you're not comfortable with it because it this is going to be public. It, if you're if you're comfortable with me discussing this, then I will discuss this. Um, I, I can't name my cousin, obviously, but she um, again on my dad's side. So my dad's um, sister's daughter um, had some evil spirits in her house, poltergeists, and she had I think it was three higher priests come in to try and bless the space to eradicate them to get them out. Mm. And what they were doing in her house was moving furniture, moving toys. Um, They were throwing things around the kitchen. They were messing about with the curtains, trying to pull the curtains. She said it was was horrendous activity. In fact, this was um, published in a newspaper um, back in 1990. I think she said it was 1992. I had a recent conversation with her about this because I needed to understand more. Um, And she said it was published in the local newspaper because the council wouldn't move her from the house because she was fearing for her children she had a couple of children um and she said the last straw for her was she'd wrapped presents at christmas and put them under the christmas tree and there was no one else in the house with her and she'd finished tidying the kitchen and she'd come out of the kitchen and all the presents were upstairs and there was no one in the house with her. Mate, it that's was terrifying scary. that's horrible it was, it was scary yeah and the energy was sinister and it was evil and the three priests that came in to bless the space um said it, they were really difficult to What's the word they, they used? Um, exercised them um, because there were there, there were three angry spirits fighting with one another with, within the space. There was some sort of history in that house. Um, so in the end, she vacated the property um, and, and she had to get out of there because she said it was evil, evil, mm. a really sinister energy. So she had, I luckily for me, I've never encountered evil energy. I've never encountered sinister energy. And yeah. I don't want to if I'm if I'm frank about of that. Of course, yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not into demonic spirits or demonic activity, and I will do everything I can to protect myself from that. Yeah. I'm not a witch. I'm not a voodoo. I'm not into any kind of spells or anything like that. I I, I don't believe that we should be um, antagonizing the spirit world. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be working with harmony, with love and peace. And, and acceptance. And why disturb something that doesn't need to be disturbed, right? I don't go out of my way to disturb the spirit world, like uh, stirring a spoon in a pan of soup, right? I don't do that. That's yeah. not my game. That's not my bag. That's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm about. It's very disrespectful for one thing, because you wouldn't want somebody to come into your home and start rearranging things yeah, without yeah. your permission, would you? So why would you go into the spirit world and start rearranging and messing about with things without permission? Mm. I wouldn't do that. But what I'm saying is they come into me. I have experiences where the spirit world, the spiritual energy is connecting with me. Mm. So it's a totally different ballgame. Yeah, totally yeah. Because I am, they come in out of choice. I don't force anything. I don't force myself upon that world. 
but I experience it and I experience it through the world connecting with me. Yeah. Um, so back to what you were saying about why us, I don't know why us. Maybe it's a special trait that we've got or a gift within our, our generation, whatever, whatever it is. But I can't answer that question. But all I know is that it's from what I've experienced, it's real. Yeah. And actually, you mentioned there a lot of fear. I'm not scared. Mm. I've never been scared of the energy that I've experienced from the very moment when I was 11 in the Mormon temple, having that, what I can only describe as an out of body experience with the higher energy, the ultimate superior force was nothing but cradling love yeah. and yeah. compassion. And I've always felt safe and protected and watched over and loved. So I can't speak for people that have had demonic uh, experiences like my cousin. I can't speak for anybody who's experienced evil because that's not happened to me. But I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, you are. You are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just reflecting. It's really interesting. I think, um, I mean, generally, I mean, so in the Bible, at one point, it talks about perfect love casts out fear. And I see fear, like the opposite of love isn't hate in my mind. The opposite of love is fear, because love draws us towards each other and towards, you know, the universe and fear pulls us away from it. Um, and my feeling as a religious person is that what I call God is defined by love. And God is infinite. Um, Absolutely. So what that means is that the universe, and by the universe, I'm talking about the desk that I'm sitting at to you, to my family, to stars trillions of light ways away, are created in, in love. And ultimately, it's a benign place. It's a safe place because the creator is defined by love. Um, so that's a very religious way of understanding it in a less religious, but spiritual way, your experience that you talked about in the Mormon temple of experiencing that overwhelming sense of compassion, that higher, that hugeness, which was defined again by love, compassion, peace, that kind of thing. Um, the, the kind of classic religious thing and that kind of spiritual experience in lots of ways, maybe they clash, but one thing that they have in common is that they say to us, the key thing, the main thing about reality is love and compassion and justice and peace. That's what the universe is made out of. So fear is not relevant to this conversation. (laughs) If you see what I mean, like the, I don't understand the experiences that you've just described it, that you've just described. They're, they're not part of my belief system, but I'm not scared of them. Because if my belief system is right, and if your belief system is right, then ultimately we're all being held by love, by connectedness, by compassion. Um, So there is nothing to be afraid of. And that was always something that growing up in that conservative evangelical church, so much of that was defined by fear. And subconsciously, those fears are still in me. I'm still, you know, 20 years later, working through them in therapy and that kind of stuff. Because there's this idea, like we talked about at the beginning of our chat, that like, this is the narrow path you have to walk down. And if you stray off it just a little bit, you're fucked, basically. That's it. Game over. Um, It's it's scary. Um, Whereas actually, when you read the Bible, 
I, I can't comment on Mormonism because I've never read the Book of Mormon, so I don't know. But when you when you engage with what's actually at the core of these big religious ideas is don't be scared, do not be afraid, right? Those are the first words the angels say when they meet Gabriel, uh, Mary, do not be afraid, you know, do not be afraid. Um, so as, as much as this conversation has blown my mind, you know, like it's made me think about stuff which I've never really thought about before. Um, I, I'm really grateful for it. I, I, it's been, it's been really cool to just learn about a spiritual experience that's different to mine. Well, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me, but that is equally valid to mine. Um, and I don't see any reason why I should be afraid of it any more than I should be afraid of anything or you should be afraid of anything. Um, yeah, I, I just, I just started preaching then. Sorry. That was a little micro sermon. <laughs> um, but I think I, I, I said I'd keep you for about an hour. I, I could keep on talking to you all night about this because it's so interesting. Um, and so alien to me, I've got, I feel like I've got so much to learn, but for the sake of podcast listeners who want to listen to a podcast that's about an hour long, that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Is, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of talk about anything that we didn't cover that you feel is important before we wrap up like any any other part of your kind of spiritual or religious journey that we we should talk yeah. about before we finish up i think you've summarized that really nicely because you you hit the nail on the head there and the last couple of things that you just said is that um it is about peace and love and from my understanding and my experiences of connecting to the spirit energy and having this higher experience i say higher as in the outer body experience the connection to the the ultimate power as it were uh, the one thing i can take away from it all is it's made me the person i am today which is an incredibly compassionate loving supremely kind person that would do anything for anybody and i find myself quite regularly and very often when I experience even the slightest bit of negative energy or anger, I really quickly transfer that to love because I know that that is the way. And for anyone who is listening is probably thinking this guy is nuts. Everyone is on the journey and you will experience this at some point in your life. Not what I've talked about in terms of my spiritual experiences, but you will experience and understand and more importantly, feel truth. And when you feel it, you'll know. And I've hit that spot and I know what it is and I know where we're going and I'm not afraid. Yes, there's evil in this world. There's evil people and, and lots of wrongdoing. But if we focus on the bad, all we're going to see is the bad. But if you focus on the good and you focus on love, then you will, you will, you can transform anything with love. And I think the more we all get on board with that and understand that we're all brothers and sisters, we're all connected. Everything is connected. Take yourself out of the human construct. Take yourself out of your belief systems, out of your gender, out of your hopes and fears and your values, and just understand from an energy point of view that everyone and everything in this life, in this world, is connected. And that's all of that's what I wanted to end on. Really, is that and if, and with that thought and with that understanding, you can always reach out with love and compassion to anyone and anything uh, it, i i mean that's a that's a perfect note on on which to end i'm completely here for that and i think that actually 
religious or not religious, spiritual or not spiritual, what you've just described is just a a universal thing. You know, even if you completely take the spiritual and the religious out of the equation, purely scientifically looking at the cells and the atoms that make us up, energy can't be destroyed. So it's constantly being recycled. So we are by fact of our existence, always connected. We're connected to the big bang that created the cosmos, you know, billions of years ago. Um, and we'll still be connected when the universe eventually goes through heat death or whatever it is. I don't really, I, I don't, I'm not a scientist, <laughs> um, but I think that. Well, that's I, am, I, trained, I trained in science, by the way, that's something I never mentioned. Oh, did you? Conflict. I, I, um, I did a degree in animal science and I was originally a science teacher as well, teaching secondary. Is that right? Sixth form. Yep. Oh, so man, there's a whole being... other podcast in that. <laughs> <laughs> but just on, on that note, really about the science background that, confused me on my journey as well because I was I had to try and hang on to things that I'd been taught in my science education but there was things in my science education that I knew weren't true as well right right or that I had a sense a deep understanding and profound knowing of not being true or not quite being on the mark there about what we're being taught but yes that's another a whole another podcast and um and so I guess really why I want to mention that is everything that I've said today is, is, is purely my experience of what I know to be truth, despite my education. You know, I have, I have a degree and a postgraduate certificate in education. So I'm not someone who's <laughs> stupid or silly or, you know, kind of just, I guess, I guess really I, I just, I, I would like listeners to understand that it's really important sometimes to just think outside of these social norms and structures that we're led to believe and just hang on to what you experience and know to be truth. You've got to feel it and you've got to know it. Mm-hmm. Everyone has got that ability, but very few connect into it. It's intuition. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Des, thank you so much. Thanks for giving me your evening. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Um, I, I mean, we don't know each other well. I've never met you in real life before. I've only ever met you over Zoom, but I find you such an interesting person and not just interesting in terms of what you believe in your experiences, but also a peaceful person and a compassionate person and somebody who I know is a force for good in the world. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know you and I'm glad that you are uh, free to give me your time this evening. Um, so thank you very much. I appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. So there you go. That was Des. Um, I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, I, I hope that that came across. Um, I, I mean, I enjoy all of these conversations. I feel like I say that every time, but it's true every time um, because everyone who I am lucky enough to talk to on this podcast has, has, is brilliant and intelligent and just people who I really value and respect. And uh, I particularly enjoyed this conversation with Des because, like I said in the intro, his experience is so different to mine. And it's not an experience that I'm completely... Well, it's not, it's, it's not mine. I don't think it will be mine. Uh, I don't think I can believe the same things that Des believes um, about the you know the kind of afterlife and the spiritual realm and that kind of thing. Um, that's not really in my vocabulary. It's not really in my belief system. But it's so interesting hearing from somebody who does believe it um, so strongly, and 
and I, like I said in the intro, I hope it's clear that while we have different stories and different beliefs, I hold Des with the utmost regard. I think he's thoughtful and intelligent and compassionate and absolutely a force for good in this world. Um, and I wish that there were more people like him. There are plenty of people like him. Let me, let me rephrase that. I am glad that there are plenty of people like Des in this world um, because he makes it better. And disagreements or different experiences aside, um, he's a good guy. And I hope that that came across. Um, okay, I think that's it for now. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope um, you're well. And I will see you, or you will see me, or maybe you won't even see me, maybe you'll just hear me, on the 1st of June. Uh, we're all being well. I think the next episode is with another co-worker um, who will share her experience of growing up with the Sikh religion in India and moving to the UK as a young Indian Sikh and what that was like. That hasn't been recorded yet, so it might well be that there's a completely different episode next month, uh, but watch this space. And whatever it is, I hope it'll be good. Okay, uh, I love you guys. Take care, be happy, and uh, okay, bye.